North Pole Hotline. Help! My in-laws are hosting Thanksgiving, and we're bringing the dressing. You mean stuffing? No, dressing. I need cute outfits for everyone. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's kicking off the holidays with stylish denim, velvet tops, the season's best dresses, and 40% off your entire purchase now through Tuesday. 40% off? We'll be stuffing our shopping bag full. And don't forget colorful sweaters and amazing outerwear, too. You can even buy online and pick up in store for free. Ooh, I love an all-you-can-wear buffet. Holiday your heart out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1118 to 1120. Exclusion supply. See stores for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Dr. Low Radio coming at you once again. Thanks for all the listens and the continued support for the show. Tonight is going to be a really great show. We have a repeat guest on the show. And I don't really usually do a lot of repeat guests, but when they're fabulous and it's a hot topic, I'm all about it. So I think you guys will really enjoy the topic tonight. We're talking all about autoimmune disease. Now, what do I mean by autoimmune disease? Well, there are many different types of autoimmune diseases, but it's basically the same underlying process that's happening in the body, affecting different tissues in the body. We'll be discussing that in detail tonight. There's a great new test that's available for you to be able to really understand if this is something affecting you, affecting your family, and you can detect it years and years before. So really, really exciting stuff. Great news for all of you who are dealing with this condition or have family history with that. So what kind of autoimmune disease are we talking about? Well, there's so many different types. There's lupus, there's fibromyalgia, multiple sclerosis. If I'm, that's my dog in the background, by the way, you guys. He's growling at me. Inflammatory bowel disease, psoriasis, type 1 diabetes, hypothyroidism, on and on and on. So you can see it affects many different parts of the body. But, again, it's a lot, a very, very similar underlying process happening. So we'll be talking about what really is involved with that. So we have Dr. Thomas O'Brien on the show. He's a repeat guest, like I said. He's an internationally recognized speaker. He's a workshop leader. He specializes in gluten sensitivity and celiac disease. He has the Sherlock Holmes for chronic disease and metabolic disorders, and that he is. He's helped me few, through a few different cases with patients, so I really appreciate him for that. He's a clinician who treats disorders from a metabolic perspective. Dr. O'Brien holds teaching faculty positions for the Institute for Functional Medicine and the National University of Life Sciences. He's passionate about teaching on gluten sensitivity and its impact on the body. He is a dear friend and he's a neighbor. And you can learn more about him at thedoctor.com. That's T-H-E-D-R.com. Dr. Brian, thank you. Welcome back. Hello, Dr. Noel. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Good to have you back on the air. How are you doing? Thank you. It's all very good. Thank you. It's a beautiful day and I'm happy to be doing this with you. Mm Mm-hmm. I was boiling today in the clinic. I was running around like like a crazy person. I was sweating. I'm going to get some AC in there. <laughs> My goodness, either that or, you know, your metabolism may have been running a little fast today. My thyroid is kicking today. It's awesome. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's new in your world, Doc? Oh, my goodness. You know, these um, when we were on the air last time and we talked about um, – these new blood tests that are available to identify gluten sensitivity now it's many, many months later, and the results have just been beyond expectation that so many doctors are expressing their gratitude. And after being in practice for 30 years and talking to my associates, we normally don't say much about laboratory testing other than, yeah, it's a helpful test. Uh, but what's happening now is that doctors are going out of their way to comment and express gratitude because it's giving them the tools to identify these underlying mechanisms that had gone unrecognized before. And tonight's topic is the extension and the whole reason that we went into this field 
of gluten sensitivity and intestinal permeability and food sensitivities and what it causes because they are one of the common triggers in the development of autoimmune disease. So I'm really happy to be kind of bringing it full circle with you tonight. And I know patients are so thankful for those tests, the specific ones from Cyrix, um, about the gluten, you know, sensitivity because oftentimes they go to their doctor and they say, okay, you're fine. You don't have a gluten sensitivity problem. They don't know that the particular marker that was tested it only shows a very small percentage of it. And so they go on with their life and they feel like crap and don't really understand why. And so having that as a tool is just so powerful, and I appreciate so much as a doctor to have that. And then finally, patients are like, thank you. They don't even mind going gluten-free. They just like to know specifically that that's what the problem is. Yes, yes. Once they've got confirmation, patients will accept it. You know, if it sounds like a good idea, and um, in the past we've had to recommend it based on a good idea or maybe on some symptoms that patients notice, they'll abide by it until they feel better, and then they will start to... um, uh, kind of cheat a little bit and see if they still feel better. And if they do, then they just will cheat a little. And what what people don't know and what they're finding out now is that um, uh, one exposure, it just takes one exposure to a food you're sensitive to, in this case gluten, where most of the research has been done, one exposure of a fifth, no, excuse me, one ninetieth, nine zero, one ninetieth of a fingernail, just that much that much gluten, like the crumbs from a crouton that was mistakenly put on a salad, and you activate your immune system for a minimum of six weeks. For six weeks, you've got antibodies circulating because once you turn on that system, it's producing antibodies, and it'll do that for a week or two weeks from one exposure, but those antibodies last for four to six weeks. So you've got the damage accruing in your system from one ninetieth of a fingernail worth of exposure. And I think you know my common phrase is, you can't be a little pregnant, you can't have a little gluten. And yeah. that's the reason why. And with that mechanism, what we now know occurs is the development of the autoimmune conditions for which that patient is genetically sensitive. Mm-hmm. So it takes that whole process a step further with this new testing. It's that, okay, now we know the person has a gluten sensitivity. Now we've also done the lab to show they have a leaky gut. Well, what are the ramifications of that, and how can we get real specific to see what systems in the body have been affected, and that's what this new test is about. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. That's what the test is about. They're very, very helpful. So it's great to so be helpful. talking with you about tonight. running it. Just started running it with patients, so I'm, I'm excited to get more into that. Let's, let's kind of take a step back for, for those who are maybe new to the show, maybe new to the topic. What is autoimmune disease exactly? Because here it's thrown around a lot, but maybe some people don't really know what it, what it is. Sure. Autoimmune disease means, what, well, let's just back up. What's your immune system? Your immune system is the armed forces in your body. It's there to protect you. Like we've got an army, an air force, a navy, marines, a coast guard the reserves. They're there to protect us. And in our bodies, it's the immune system that's there to protect us. That's its own. I think, I'm, I'm not sure, but I'm going to say is its only purpose. There may be another that I'm not thinking of right now, but certainly it's its primary purpose is to protect us. And just like the armed forces in the United States, we have multiple uh, branches of our immune system, IgA, IgG, IgE, IgM. There are multiple branches. When the immune system gets activated to protect us against something, the way it does that, one of the mechanisms is by producing what are called antibodies. Antibodies are soldiers that are trained to go after one particular thing. 
and usually only that one thing. For example, when we get a vaccination for measles, they give you a shot of the bug measles. And your brain says, well, what's this? This is not good for me. And the brain says, you general, and you've got generals, Army, Air Force, Marine Corps generals sitting around with nothing to do. And the brain says, you general, you now are general measles. Take care of this. General measles starts, producing, starts building an assembly line. And that assembly line produces soldiers. Those soldiers are called antibodies. And they have high-powered rifles, and they're going out into the bloodstream looking for measles. And they shoot these bullets called cytokines at the measles and destroy the measles. When all the measles bugs are gone, general measles says, okay, turn off the assembly line. We don't need that anymore right now. We don't need more soldiers out here. But general measles is now vigilant for the rest of his life. If measles ever comes back into your bloodstream, general measles will sense it and just has to flip the switch to turn on the assembly line to build the soldiers again. He doesn't have to build the assembly line. That's why if you go to Africa, months and months ahead of time, you need vaccinations for dengue fever, yellow fever, you know, whatever the things are that we need vaccinations for in Africa. But if you go back five years later to visit again, you just need a booster shot two weeks before you go. You just have to wake up the general again for general yellow fever. So that's what antibodies are. Now, an autoimmune disease is when your body makes antibodies against your own tissue. Maybe it's your thyroid tissue. Maybe it's the wrapping around your nerves called the myelin, which is the mechanism of MS. Maybe it's your brain. Maybe it's your muscles. And your muscles start to atrophy when you get older because of this autoimmune condition. It can attack any tissue of your body. An autoimmune condition means that antibodies are being produced that are going after your own tissue. Not going after measles, but going after your own tissue. So how does that go awry? How, is, how does the, 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 you know, the soldier go from killing the enemy to killing its own people? Well, that's really a good question, and uh, here's a visual on it. Uh, um, this, um, so in the room that you're in right now, and for all of our listeners, whatever you, room you're in, let's just assume that room is the inside of the bloodstream. And everything's traveling the same way in the bloodstream. It's going in the same direction. Now, there's no lanes of traffic, so everything's bouncing into each other, right? But it's going the same way. Now, let's assume that this person, for the sake of discussion here, has a sensitivity to the food gluten. Well, gluten is the protein in wheat, rye, and barley. So let's assume they've got a sensitivity to the protein gluten. And general gluten has been formed. General gluten builds the assembly line. Now we've got soldiers that are anti-gluten antibodies. They're called usually anti-gliadin antibodies. These soldiers are in the bloodstream. They're going through the bloodstream. They're heading off in the same direction as all the red blood cells and the white blood cells and vitamins and the minerals and everything that's in, on that highway traveling through your bloodstream. Now the blood goes past every tissue in your body. So now the blood's going past your thyroid. So look on the wall and just pick a spot, pick a picture on the wall or something, say, okay, that's the thyroid. Now, when general gluten makes antibodies to gluten, we're making antibodies to the protein, gluten. It's a protein. Proteins are made up of amino acids. They're the building blocks. And there's a whole bunch of amino acids in proteins. There's hundreds of amino acids in a specific sequence that make up a protein. They're like building blocks. So let's assume that the amino acid sequence of gluten that the body makes antibodies to is A, A, B, C, D. 
Now, the most common one is actually 33 amino acids long, but I'm not going to do 33 letters. So let's just say it's A, A, B, C, D. Now, that soldier, soldier, uh, the antibody for gluten, is looking for A, A, B, C, D, anywhere it can find it in the bloodstream. And whenever it finds it, it shoots that chemical bullet, that cytokine, to destroy A, A, B, C, D. Now, the surface of your thyroid is made up of proteins and fats. So as the blood's going by, it's going by this, this surface tissue. Now, this is the picture on the wall that you identified a minute ago. That's the thyroid. And it's made up of proteins and fats. Proteins are made up of amino acids, hundreds and hundreds of amino acids long. If there is a sequence of amino acids that looks like AABCD on the surface of the thyroid, that's the same sequence as gluten that the body's making antibodies to. And sometimes the soldiers get kind of confused. The gluten soldiers say, oh, look, over there, AABCD, and they fire their chemical bullet, and they damage the thyroid cell because it's AABCD. You need six amino acids in sequence for there to be, it's called a homologue, homolog similarity, where it's possible, not every time, but it's possible that the body makes antibodies against your own tissue because you have a sensitivity to a food. If there are six mm. or more amino acids that are in the same sequence. So now you've got general gluten, not, excuse me, not general gluten, the soldiers, the anti-gluten antibodies that have fired a chemical bullet against the thyroid. The thyroid gets damaged. Now, a normal part of physiology is that your body cleans up damaged tissue all the time. And when you clean up damaged thyroid tissue, you make a few antibodies against your thyroid. That's why we have a normal amount of antibodies against our tissue. You know, there's a normal range to have a few antibodies to thyroid, a few antibodies to liver, a few antibodies to bone, a few antibodies to muscle. There's a normal amount. But when you have elevated levels, then you have an autoimmune condition going on. So what happens is the gluten antibodies have attacked the thyroid because they thought that was gluten. The thyroid cell has been damaged because of that. Now the immune system has to make antithyroid antibodies to clean up the damaged cell. That's called molecular mimicry. That whole process is called molecular mimicry. Now that's not a problem in general, except you had toast for breakfast, a sandwich for lunch, pasta for dinner. The next morning, you have pancakes for breakfast, a sandwich for lunch, croutons on your salad at dinner. Then you have a piece of cake or a cookie that we're exposed to so much gluten. We make so many antibodies. It's going after so much tissue that this damage occurs day after day after day after day until eventually, even if you stop gluten, you've got these thyroid antibodies now that are being made. They have a life of their own. They don't need the irritant the gluten antibody anymore, the body's making thyroid antibodies on its own. Hmm. That's the basic mechanism by which this occurs. And, and I see that from a clinical perspective. I can, I can usually tell looking at the antibodies on a lab result for a patient to thyroid, for example, if they've been exposed to gluten because they tend to rise when they have exposure. Um, yes. Is gluten probably the most common example of that? Are there other foods that can cause this molecular mimicry? Well, in terms of the literature that's been produced, there are over 19,000 studies on gluten and gluten sensitivity and celiac disease. Um, there's no other food that's been um, studied so thoroughly. However, there's a pretty good argument that dairy is right up there, almost if not the same frequency. And dairy being associated with things like type 1 diabetes, for example, right? Oh, oh exactly right. And, that's, and that's, that's exactly why. You hit it on the money because the... 
the molecular structure of some of the protein molecules in dairy look very similar to the beta cells of the pancreas. That's why you yeah. can find so many studies that say, you know what, uh, for infants at risk, meaning there's a history of diabetes in the family, do not give infants at risk milk, cow's milk, in the first year of life. And, and if at all possible, avoid it in the first year of life because you run the risk of activating that molecular mimicry cascade. Mm-hmm. Now, would you say that the root cause is food sensitivities or is there something like, I'm always trying to think with patients, what's the first, uh, you know, domino to fall? Is the first domino the, the, the food sensitivity? Is there something before that that can make you more predisposed to being sensitive to certain foods? That's really a good question. That's really a good question. The answer is yes, there is. Um, and the answer comes from all the research that's been done on celiac disease, that the incidence of celiac disease has raised exponentially since 1974. And it's not that there's better testing available. It's that more people are getting sicker. And the reason why more people are getting sicker is called a loss of oral tolerance. Now, the oral tolerance concept is a really good one. Here's a, here's a visual. Imagine a National Geographic special on lions. And we've got Mama Lion laying under a tree, and she's asleep, and her little cubs are jumping all over her. You know, they're, they're biting on her ear. They're biting, and they're fighting with each other. And they're rolling down her, you know, her abdomen onto the ground, and they hit the ground, and then they go run over to her teeth, and they suck and get a little milk, and then they go play some more, and they're just bouncing all over the place while Mama Lion's asleep. Imagine that a baby hyena cub, same size, same weight as the lion cubs, got mixed in with the baby lion cubs. What would happen? In an instant, Mama Lion would kill the hyena cub. So Mama Lion was not ignoring her cubs. She wasn't asleep. She wasn't ignoring her cubs. She was tolerant of her cubs. She allowed them to be there and paid no attention to them. That's what our bodies do. That's what the immune system in the gut has to do for infants and toddlers is that we have to develop oral tolerance so that any molecule that comes down from the fork to the mouth down into the stomach the body, the immune system in the body has to say, this is good for me. Oh, this is celery. This is good. Oh, this is applesauce. This is good. Oh, this is a bacteria that was in the mayonnaise. This is not good. That the immune system has to be able to differentiate friend from foe. And it's called oral tolerance. And what happens is that as we age, with the amount of toxins that we're exposed to in our world today, the heavy metals, the pesticides, the endocrine-disrupting chemicals, the persistent organic pollutants, everything that we're exposed to, our immune systems are so taxed, so taxed, and we feel, quote, fine in the midst of it all, but we get so taxed that we cross a threshold. Then it's the straw that broke the camel's back as to why celiacs, people can develop celiac when they're 40 or 50, that wheat was fine for them their whole life, but now it's not anymore. It's because they've lost oral tolerance. Their immune system has been so beat up and so so active for so many years just trying to keep them healthy, keep them surviving, that it just can't handle anymore. And so the primary food that most of us take in multiple times a day, every day, which is gluten, becomes a danger. Now come the antibodies. So if you now, want to take it back... Now, can they regain oral tolerance or 
so can they gain, regain oil tolerance, or do then they have to avoid those foods forever? Because I'm sure listeners are wondering that. Yeah, that's a really good question too. And the only <laughs> answer we the only answer we know for sure is celiac disease. Uh, in celiac disease, all the studies are the same. They say it's permanent. In no other food have they had as much research. Now, however, and Dr. Noel, you and I know this, that all of those studies, all of those patients, were patients who were still living their lives the same way they did all before, except they just stopped eating gluten. They don't change anything else in their lifestyle. And in your practice and my practice and so many of our colleagues and the doctors who are using these types of tests, they talk about lifestyle. And they encourage a patient to evaluate their lifestyle. And let's do a shift here. Let's take three, six months and do a trial. Are you, are you willing to do a trial here? Are you willing to exercise a little more? Are you willing to select your foods balanced more with proteins and some carbohydrates and some good fats and not just all carbohydrates? You know, that we teach our patients, you want to find a doctor who is comprehensive enough to give an overview. So... With those kinds of patients, there's no studies that have ever been done on people who took ownership and responsibility for their health and didn't want to just take a pill or something and say, all right, what do I have to do to get healthier, and that they do whatever they, whatever they have to to get healthier. There's no studies to show those patients what's the long-term effect. Can they ever have gluten again or milk or whatever it should be? However, we now have the tests available so that we'll find out because these tests are sensitive enough. You do the test, you see you've got a problem, you go gluten-free, you do it for six months, you redo the test, you see that the problem's gone away, your immune system has calmed down, everything's normal, and you say, well, can I have gluten now? The answer is, well, I don't know. But if you want to try, let's find out. Have a little bit of gluten every day for a couple of weeks, wait two more weeks, so it's a month, and then do another blood test. If the antibodies come back, the answer is no, you can't. If the antibodies don't come back, go ahead and have a little, and we'll check you in six months and see. So we we now have, they're called biomarkers, so that we can differentiate yes and no and not just uh, by guessing. Now, can it ever be the case where a person's immune system is so depleted that they cannot even make an antibody to something? Oh, sure, absolutely. Uh, People that are on steroids do not make antibodies. That's because steroids suppress the immune system. So if people are on steroid inhalers for asthma or they're taking hydrocortisone or Cortef for some other reasons, some other conditions, um, they will not produce very many antibodies, uh, uh, and the test will not be as accurate. Okay, got it. Now, before we jump into the uh, details about the testing, which is super, super exciting, what about risk factors that make a person more vulnerable to autoimmune disease? Oh, my goodness. There are a number of them. The first one is gender. Uh, women have a much higher incidence of autoimmune diseases. Depending on the autoimmune disease you look at, it's anywhere from 30% up to 90% more common in women than men. For example, Hashimoto's, the most common form of autoimmune thyroid, is over 90% more common in women than it is in men. Lupus, systemic lupus erythematosus, is over 60% more common in women than in men. Um, And the list goes on and on. I don't know that there's an autoimmune disease that is not that way. So gender seems to have a role to play in that. And there's a lot of theories as to why. Hormone imbalances is a primary one. But another theory that comes into play is not necessarily that the hormones are out of balance, but act like estrogens that are so common in our environment now uh, that they bind to the estrogen receptor sites and the body thinks you have more estrogen. So it's not 
that you have higher levels of the hormone, but you have higher levels of hormone-like activity. That's a mm -hmm. primary theory as to where this comes from. Blood transfusions increase the risk of developing autoimmune diseases tremendously because you're taking in the, the blood of another person. Um, pregnancy. Uh, now, of course, the fetus is, comes from the mother, so it's the mother's own tissue, but it also is part of the father. So sometimes pregnancy will increase your risk of developing autoimmune diseases. Uh, accumulations of toxic chemicals will increase your risk of autoimmune diseases. So there, there's a number of them that will do that. Now, thinking outside the box, I just kind of thought of this. Do you think that maybe the uh, incidence of autoimmune disease in men might start to go up as, as men become kind of more like women with their hormones? You know, their testosterone is turning more into estrogen. They're more affected by these xenoestrogens in the environment. Do you think that might happen? Oh, I would high-five you on that. That's a brilliant question. That is a brilliant <laughs> question because, yes, that's actually happening, and there are some papers that are suggesting that. Yes, that the incidence of autoimmune disease in males are going up. And that's a primary theory as to why that's happening. Wow, it's so interesting. Is so it, now, yeah. so I know that, that, that when the patients get back the results and they see that they have a, an antibody to something, they freak out and go, oh, my God, I'm, I'm attacking this tissue. Now, just to clarify, having an antibody to something doesn't necessarily mean your body is attacking it, right? No, oh, that, that's correct. Um, it's normal to have antibodies to your tissue. It's normal. To, there's normal reference ranges for all of them. It, it, let me say that in a different way. It's normal to have antibodies to your tissue. There are normal reference ranges to all of them. Or maybe I can say it this way. It's normal <laughs> to have antibodies to your tissue. There's a normal reference range for all of them. <laughs> the second time you said it, I actually thought maybe you said it differently, and I was like, wait, because it's been a long day, yeah. I wasn't sure, but then I knew by the first time you were messing with me. But we, we really have to hear that because uh, now there's something out of balance when there's elevated levels of these antibodies. That's what you want to be concerned about. You want to ask the question, why do I have elevated levels of antibodies to my bone, which is a primary cause of osteoporosis, by the way, which is why just taking calcium and vitamin D doesn't do it all the time because there's an autoimmune process going on. Why do I have elevated antibodies to the cerebellum, which is in the brain? Why do I have elevated antibodies to myelin? I mean, those are the questions we want to ask. So when it's elevated, it's very worth being concerned about and asking questions. Where is this coming from? What can I do about it? Yeah. For you listeners, I forgot I, mentioned, I didn't say the phone number. So if you'd like to call and ask a question, it's 818-495-6919. That's 818 818- Four nine five six nine one nine, and we are talking to Dr. Thomas O'Brien on autoimmune disease. So, Dr. O'Brien, what can a person do daily? I kind of want to get to a little bit of sort of practical. What can someone do daily to reduce their risk of getting autoimmune disease that you can recommend? Oh, what can a person do daily to reduce their risk of autoimmune disease? Find a good practitioner that knows about this and can yeah. act as your coach. That's critically important, but um, the primary... The development of autoimmune diseases, what the studies are showing is that they're associated with three things. First, you have to have a genetic vulnerability to that. You can't do anything about your genes. You got the gene, you got the gene. It doesn't mean you're going to get the disease. It just means that that's a weak link in your chain. You know, you pull at a chain, it always breaks at the weakest link. It's at one end, the middle, the other end. It's your heart, your brain, your kidney, your, kidney, your liver. Wherever your weak link is, that's your genetic vulnerability. You can't do anything about that. But that doesn't mean it's going to manifest. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. It just means that's your weak link. Stop pulling at the chain. 
and then the link doesn't break. So the first is genetic vulnerability. The second is an environmental trigger. And in the discussions we've had on your show in the past, gluten is a primary environmental trigger. There are others, but that's a primary one. And the third is intestinal permeability, which is known in generic terms as leaky gut. That those three components appear to be required in the development of autoimmune diseases. So what can a person do to reduce their risk of autoimmune disease? Well, if there's a family history of autoimmune disease, then that by itself is enough reason to get tested for gluten sensitivity all by itself. That's shown to be a high risk factor, family history of autoimmune disease. And when you're tested for gluten, you also get tested to see if you have intestinal permeability. How many people have intestinal per permeability? Hundreds of thousands and have no clue. That how many people have autoimmune disease? 23 million in the U.S. have been identified, but we know only one out of three gets diagnosed. Only one out of three. So that means there's over 60 million people in the U.S. walking around with card-carrying autoimmune diseases right now, and most of them have not been diagnosed. So how many people have intestinal permeability? Likely millions and millions of people. And with gluten sensitivity, likely millions and millions of people. And it's such a simple test to find out. And now the tests are accurate. You don't get those false negatives anymore. That's what we talked about on your last show was that conundrum of gluten sensitivity where you uh, go to get a test, it comes back negative, says everything's fine, but you stop eating gluten and you feel better. What's wrong with that picture? Well, it's the test. The test was the wrong test. Now there's accurate tests. So yeah. what, what, can, what can a person do at home? Stop pulling on the chain. What do you mean? Find out what foods you're sensitive to. I'm not sensitive to any foods. Oh, really? Okay. Well, here's a couple of screens that you can do. They're just general screens. They're not diagnostic. They're general screens. One, pull your pants up. Pull your sock down. Do you have sock marks on your leg? Now, you might have really tight socks on, but the vast majority of people don't wear really tight socks. What they have is a little bit of edema, and it shows sock marks or underwear marks when you pull your underwear down a little bit. Do you have a little swelling under your eyes, a little puffiness under your eyes? Called, or do you have a little dark darkness under your eyes? They're called allergic shiners. There's a really famous pediatrician named Doris Rapp, R-A-P-P. Dr. Rapp is in her 80s or 90s now, and you know, she taught for many, many years, and, and um, she has a great website. That you, you look at the pictures of these children. She said that when she came into practice, one out of ten kids had allergies. Now it's nine out of ten. It's the environment. It's the environment. And most of us are walking around with some sensitivities, and there's some indicators. And if you go to Dr. Rapp's website, you can see pictures and then just look in a mirror and see if you, you're carrying some of those indicators. They're not diagnostic. They're indicators. They're suggestive. And if you have any of those suggestions, or here's another one. This, this is a great one. This is actually a very good one because it's the number one symptom of allergies. On a 1 to 10, 10 is the amount of energy you should have. 5 is half as much. Now, take your willpower out of the equation. And what's your energy level? I always pause after I say 1 to 10 and, and uh, 5 is half as much. I pause there because people have a number in their head. Oh, I'm an 8. I'm a 9. And, I, and then I say, take your willpower out of the equation. And you see their face drop, their jaw drops down. So, oh, oh, 5, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe 6, 
right? Yeah. Now, because the number one symptom of allergies is fatigue. And I call that a truth response. You know, when people, they, uh, because we all want to say that we're fine and we're functioning well and we're fine, but when you say take your willpower of the equation, they real oh, oh, yeah, I'm actually pretty tired. Yeah, 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 I could sleep if I, I could take a nap most of the time. You know, so many people are like that. And many times, and there's many reasons for that, many, but a very common contributor to that is a sensitivity to a food. And the very common food is gluten or dairy. Those are the most common foods. <laughs> so funny. I just started doing that with my patients. I'll say, take, take willpower out of the equation. I get totally different <laughs> numbers now. So I appreciate that little <laughs> clinical pearl. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> yes, yes. I know. It makes I a huge had, difference. I no idea that autoimmune disease was that common. 60 yes. million people. That is yes. insane. Yes. It's nuts. Yes. That is yes. so crazy. Most of them don't even know. So it's such now, an important topic to spread the awareness. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, the papers back in 2005 were saying autoimmune disease is the number three cause of morbidity and mortality in the industrialized world. Number three, behind heart disease and cancer. And morbidity, for your listeners, morbidity means getting sick. You know, and your body's wearing down. Mortality means you die. And autoimmune disease is the number three cause of morbidity and mortality in the industrialized world. But, Dr. Noel, you and I know now, because the papers have come out, that the number one cause of morbidity and mortality is cardiovascular disease. We know that. But what's the mechanism in the very initial stages of development of autoimmune or of cardiovascular disease? It's an immune system. It's an autoimmune mechanism that causes the blood vessel pipes to get plugged up. It's an autoimmune mechanism that causes that to occur. So when you put that into the equation, now we have autoimmune disease as the number one cause of morbidity and mortality in the industrialized world. Number one. So it's huge. Now, would, would that it's include just, cancer as well, the cancer process? Cancer is cancer's number two. So it's um, uh, traditionally it's considered cardiovascular disease number one, cancer number two, autoimmune number three, but that's changing now because the, the researchers and um, that are doing uh, these meta analysis where they look at many many studies, they're starting to say, you know, this is pretty interesting. With cardiovascular disease having an autoimmune component in the very initial stages of it, maybe we should be looking at the immune system uh, in terms of addressing cardiovascular disease. So papers like that are, have been coming out now for about three or four years where they're talking about that. Is there a link between cancer and autoimmune disease? There is. There's a huge link between cancer and autoimmune disease. And there have been many, many research papers on that one. That's not something that I personally have put a lot of time into yet because yeah. um, there are no real screening panels available to look at that. There may be in the future, but there's not now. Uh, but there mm -hmm. definitely is an auto, and there's some really good research papers. If you go to PubMed.gov, PubMed stands for Public Medical Information. It's the National Library of Medicine, and it opens right up on the search engine. And you just type in on the search engine, cancer and autoimmunity, and you'll be surprised at what comes up. Yeah, it, it always cracks me up, you know, when conventional doctors say there's no link in between. There's no nothing, no research showing that gluten sensitivity exists, or you know, just making oh these God. claims. And it's like all you gotta do is go to PubMed, just type it up, and there you see, you know, thousands and thousands of papers. It's a trip. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And uh, uh, that just demonstrates that that particular doctor hasn't had an opportunity yet to read the literature 
Yeah. So a patient is, you know, let's say that this, a patient knows their mother had lupus or their father had, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, and they want to just start to do some testing. Maybe they have some joint pain. Maybe they kind of have some fatigue, and they decide to go to their doctor. Maybe they go, go to you. You know, what, what kind of uh, process would you put them through? Uh, thank you. Um, I, I got a little distracted because I just found my computer. I typed in cancer and autoimmunity at PubMed. There's 3,405 <laughs> studies. 3,405 oh studies pop up immediately. Yes, there's an autoimmune component to it, of course. Crazy. Uh, and, and there's much more. You know, I would never say that it's only an autoimmune, but there's an autoimmune component to it. So right. that, that's we're not saying it causes it. We're saying it's right. linked. You know, there's a big difference. Right. But, but yeah, that's, right. that's pretty compelling. Yeah, 3,405 studies. So, and, and if you go back to our immune system is the armed forces in our body, why is it so active? Why is it that with, with so many different diseases, the immune system has a critical role to play in it? Why is that? It's because of what we're exposed to. It's the toxicity of this world we live in now. You know, I um, read something a couple of weeks ago, the seaweed off the coast of Southern California has three times above the limit, threefold increase in radioactivity in the seaweed, and it's Fukushima radioactivity. They've identified the radioactivity is coming from Fukushima. That's a threefold increased concentration of radioactivity in the seaweed off the coast of California. I mean, what kind of a world are we living in today? There are so many toxins we're exposed to all the time. What we all can do is where we have control, make good choices. Eat healthy foods. Stop eating ding-dongs and ho-hos. Do you think there's any nutritive value to soda pop? There's some basic things that we've just fallen into thinking it's okay because it looks like the good life on television when we see those commercials. I'm sorry to sound a little like a fanatic, but it's what's poisoning us. So when you ask what can we do, we have to stop poisoning ourselves where we can. I mean, we, we still have to breathe the air and, you know, we drink the water, we go for a swim. There's some things that we don't have a lot of control over, but there's a lot that we do. And stop pulling on the chain wherever we can. Yeah, don't kick so. your body while it's down. You already have enough stacked up against you. So live a clean life, you know, detoxify. That's that's my philosophy. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So let's jump into this testing because that's the, the fun, neat part of this this whole show. So what can we do? What, what are some of these, you know, tools that we can use to, to find what's going on in the body? There's a new test that came out May the 1st of this year, just came out, and it's from Cyrex Labs at C-Y-R-E-X, CyrexLabs.com. And for all of your listeners, uh, please tell your doctors to go to the website, look at these tests, and doctors can order these tests. Uh, the, the general public cannot. Uh, you, it has to be ordered through a doctor. Uh, but when the doctors look at it and read the research, um, uh, for most of them, I haven't met anyone yet, who didn't say, oh, my goodness, these are quite remarkable. Because what we have now, we have a test, a single blood draw, where you can look to see are there antibodies to 24 different tissues in your body. Now, let me back up a little bit, if I may, and give a little background of where all this came from. There was an article published in the medical journal Lupus in 2003 by Arbuckle. 
And Arbuckle did something quite unique that I don't know if it had been done before. I'm not sure, but hers was a landmark article because a lot of people started doing it after she did it. She went to the VA and she looked for people with lupus and she found, I think it was 132, maybe 136 people with lupus. And they, they currently had a diagnosis. Now, if they're in the VA system, they were veterans. If they were veterans, they were in the armed forces. And if they, are, they were in the armed forces, they got their blood drawn lots of times while they were in the service. And since 1978, uh, the government's been freezing and saving all of that blood. They've got tens of millions of samples of blood now. And so Arbuckle went back and asked, could I um, examine uh, some of the old blood samples of these patients who currently have lupus? So maybe you were an airman, and there was a break a breakout of uh, strep infections on, on the base, and you felt kind of sick, so you went in, they threw your blood, said, no, you don't have strep, you're fine, go back to work. And they froze the blood. They never checked that airman to see if he had lupus. I mean, why would they? I mean, a healthy young person and just looking for strep infections. But Arbuckle got their blood to see were there any antibodies to lupus when they were healthy. And turned out every single one of those people had elevated antibodies to lupus. There are seven different antibodies to lupus. Every single one of them had elevated antibodies up to nine years before they ever had any symptoms. Nine years. And every year, these seven antibodies went up sequentially, little by little by little, until they plateaued and they leveled off. And when they plateaued, within six months, the symptoms were there. And within six months after that, they got the diagnosis. So if antibodies are destroying tissue, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and this goes on for day after week after month after month after year after year after year after year, eventually you don't have a lot of good functioning tissue left, whether it's your thyroid or it's your muscles or it's your brain, but it's going on for years and years. And then you get so much tissue damage that, that tissue can't function properly anymore. Now you start getting symptoms. You say, well, what's wrong? Am I, am I just getting a little older or something? And the symptoms get worse, and then you go to a doctor and you get the diagnosis. Nobody gets Alzheimer's in their 60s or 70s. Alzheimer's begins in your 20s and 30s. It just takes 30 or 40 years of slowly killing off your brain cells, and the speed accelerates as you age. But it takes 30 or 40 years before there's enough tissue damage where you're not functional anymore. You get the diagnosis. So Arbuckle found this with the lupus people, with the lupus patients. Every one of them had elevated antibodies years beforehand. And so she identified what she called the benign autoimmunity, where there were no obvious symptoms, but these antibodies were being produced. And then it went to clinical autoimmunity, where there were some symptoms, and then to pathological autoimmunity, and then the diagnosed disease. So she identified these stages. So immunologists all over the world started doing this, and they started producing, they started looking with different diseases what were the uh, history of these people years beforehand. Um, did they have any antibodies for rheumatoid? Did they have any antibodies for um, um, uh, multiple sclerosis? Did they have any antibodies for psoriasis? Um, uh, did they have any antibodies for celiac disease? And they just looked at all of the different conditions of different autoimmune conditions that they um, could think of. I mean, there are many papers on this now. If you go to PubMed, you type in predictive antibodies, you see all of the different papers to where 
they came up with the data, they came, became so clear that they were able to identify what they call the positive predictive value, meaning if you have these antibodies, are you going to, um, what's the predictive value that you're going to develop that particular disease? So for lupus, for example, if you have these antibodies to lupus, it's a 94 to 100% positive predictive value you're going to get lupus within 7 to 10 years. If it's rheumatoid, it's 52 to 88% for rheumatoid factor, that's one of the antibodies, and 97% for anti-cyclic citrullated peptide that you're going to develop rheumatoid within 14 years. If it's celiac disease, it's 50 to 60% that you're going to, uh, if you have the antibodies, that you're going to develop celiac disease. But if you also have the gene, it's 100% within seven years. If it's thyroid, especially postpartum thyroid, if you've got these antibodies called thyroid antithyroid peroxidase, TPO antibodies, 92% positive predictive value, you're getting Hashimoto's thyroid within seven to ten years. Here's the one that really caught me. Um, if you have uh, anti-Saccharomyces cerevisiae antibodies, it's 100%. You're getting Crohn's within three years, 100%. Oh, wow. So, exactly. So, as a result of uh, uh, Arbuckle's work, many other researchers got into this and looked into it, and this is what they found, just like you said. Oh, wow. That's exactly right. This is huge. So you, you, you do this, this 24 tissue antibody test and you find something positive, but you don't have any symptoms, it's great. It gives you a window of opportunity to alter the lifestyle that's contributing to the development of this particular condition. Stop pulling on the chain. What does that mean? Well, I don't know what it means for you. Let's look at how you live your life. Our, and the guy happens to be an auto mechanic. Or, you know, what really gets me, I travel a lot to teach, and I'm in airports a lot, and, you know, I watch these people shoe shining. I get my shoe shined every once in a while. They don't wear gloves. Most of them don't wear gloves, and they've got that crud on their hands all day, every day. That's an environmental toxin. Airline mechanics, auto mechanics, they got their hands in gasoline or in grease. Those are toxins that gets into your bloodstream. We know... Uh, you know, Dr. Noel, about um, landscape workers and what's, what's the disease that they get high percentages of? Parkinson's. Because of the chemicals they're using, there's a very high incidence of Parkinson's in people that do landscaping work. Wow. It's the environmental toxins. Oh, it's the environmental toxins. Stop pulling on the chain. Well, what chain? I don't know. Let's look at your lifestyle and find out. So you need to find a healthcare practitioner, a doctor that knows how to do this. Functional medicine practitioners know how to do it. That's the Institute for Functional Medicine. The doctors that are using Cyrex laboratory testing, obviously, are know how to do it, or they're in this world because they're using the tests. So they they know how to do it. Um, you you want to find a holistic healthcare practitioner to be a part of your healthcare team. You don't get rid of your current doctor. We need our doctors. You know, we need our internists and general practitioners and rheumatologist, but you include as part of your healthcare team someone that's got this umbrella overview. And you get the, and it's called predictive antibody test. You get the predictive antibody test done. You get your gluten sensitivity test done, intestinal permeability, and predictive antibodies. 
you get those done. And then, and then you've got a picture as to what's brewing in your body. There was a really great article um, in Scientific American, March 2007, cover story. March of 2007, if you go to scientificamerican.com, it's five bucks to download the, 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 that issue. And page 78, what is the cover story? Predictors of disease. This was in 2007. And I saw that article, and my um, friend, my good friend, uh, Dr. Jeff Bland, I saw him a week later, and we both got excited talking about it because we both had seen it in the airport, and we were reading the article, and we both agreed this is the future. This is the future, is looking for identifying these autoimmune conditions years before they've caused so much tissue damage that it's irreversible. I'm actually looking at it right now on my computer. I didn't get a chance to read it before the show, but it looks like major brain candy. So it's really, it it's is really major brain candy. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. it's, uh, not, uh, it's not, uh, Natkins from UCLA wrote the article. Okay. And he said, Some, someday, someday we'll have the opportunity to look for these antibodies years before they've caused enough tissue damage. Well, that day is here. Five, days la- yeah. five years later, that day is here. It's here now. I wonder if they know about it now. I wonder if they know about Cyrex now. Um, I don't. I don't know. That's a good idea. That's, I, I, I might reach out to Dr. Notkins. And yeah. Dr. Notkins, if you're listening to the show, call in. Let's let's have a discussion. <laughs> yeah, call in. We'll talk to you on the air. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so you know, I know that a, that the autoimmune process is so related in that if you have one particular autoimmune disease, you're more likely to have other ones. What's that likelihood look like? Oh, it's huge. Um, I don't know that they've ever identified people have one autoimmune disease. Um, yeah. uh, that if, if they look, now they, they only have one perhaps they're having symptoms with because it's primary. But if, uh, and I don't know of any doctor who's ever really looked unless you yeah. also had symptoms of another disease. But now with Cyrex Labs testing, you're able to look very easily. It's one blood draw. And you, you can look for 24 different tissues in the body. You have antibodies mm-hmm. to 24 different tissues. So then, the, so the doctor runs this, you know, gives a treatment for for whatever uh, finding that they're they're seeing in the lab, and then rechecks what like three months, six months. What's the usual? Yeah, uh, 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 the recheck period uh, in general is at least six months. Uh, it depends mm-hmm. if they're young uh, and they're growing, and so their bodies are still in a growth spurt. So there's more activity for things to change. And they're vigilant about following recommendations. It's possible to recheck in three months and have it completely turned around. But it's much safer to wait six months. Okay. And then how do you know that you're keeping the disease process at bay? You're seeing reduced uh, antibodies and also... uh, They go away. Yeah. They go away. Yeah, that's a good question. The antibodies go away. Now, I I can't say every time they go away, but we've reversed, and we've seen this many, and it's, it's in the literature. Reversing Mm -hmm. lupus, reversing thyroid disease, reversing rheumatoid. Now, you can't reverse the joints that are all damaged in rheumatoid, but the antibodies that are causing more joint damage go away, and the patient's symptoms go way down, if not completely eliminated. It just depends on how much tissue damage they've got. Um, This is the one I really like, primary antiphospholipid syndrome, which is one Mm -hmm. of the uh, frequent causes for unexplained miscarriages. When you've got these antibodies, the antibodies are called beta-2 glycoprotein-1 antibodies. And you've got those antibodies, you have a 100% likelihood of miscarriage within seven years if you've got those antibodies. Why wouldn't every woman of childbearing age 
that has a family history of miscarriages not do that test? I don't know. But they go away. And it's, it's in the literature. I, I have some of those cases in my um, all-day lectures. And I just show. Here's the case study in the World Journal of Gastroenterology reversing primary antiphospholipid syndrome, and the woman had a healthy baby. Well, why get to the root cause when you can do Clomid or do IVF? Say that again? <laughs> I said, why get to the root cause when you can just do Clomid or, or do in vitro? I, you know? I thought that's what you said. <laughs> You're like, uh, come you, again? <laughs> you got me. I got you once and you got me. That was good. <laughs> I know. It's crazy. I get so many patients that come in and they, they've done IVF and it's just, it's just nuts. You know, nobody looks at these underlying root issues to find what is the first you know, domino to, to create yeah, the whole cascade. Back, back in the 80s and in the 90s, the, the technology was not available to identify the underlying mechanisms for unexplained miscarriages. And um, yeah. it's such a sad thing. You know, and these couples are trying anything they can. And th that's what got me into this whole field is that my ex and I couldn't get pregnant. And, mm. so, and so we got into this field back then, uh, um, 32 years ago. Uh, wow. uh, but you know, and we've helped. I've helped many, many couples since then. Here's an example of how silly it is sometimes. This whole in vitro thing, and this is not an anti in vitro talk. But here's how silly it is when you don't have a big picture. When a couple mates and they're trying to have a baby, there's millions of sperm swimming up the canal, and a lot of that sperm hits the egg. Only one gets through. Usually, sometimes two, but only one. How is it? that only one gets through. The egg is coated with a mucus layer, kind of a protective um, force field. I, I like to think of um, uh, Star Trek and the force field on, uh, around the ship. And, but when the sperm hits the egg, that sperm secretes an enzyme in the head of the sperm, and that enzyme dissolves a little bit of the mucus around the egg, and then the sperm can swim right in, and then the mucus closes behind it, and then there's a reflex mechanism that will not allow any more enzyme to work against the mucus layer. So only one sperm gets in. That's pretty cool. That is cool. That, that enzyme is completely zinc dependent. So if the man has a zinc deficiency, he's firing duds. Hmm. And they can't find anything wrong with the woman. And the man, they check his sperm count and his motility, and they say, you're fine. So the guy walks all tall. Oh, I'm good. Oh, thanks, Doc. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. Let's do whatever we can to help you. But there's nothing wrong with the woman. They can't find any problems. But they shotgun her all full of hormones. They do all these procedures without ever having a documented reason to do those procedures. There's a shotgun approach many times. And it was, it was a zinc deficiency. So I've had a few couples uh, when when couples used to come in for infertility, I said, please bring your husband with you on the first visit. And if the husband couldn't come, working or something, I gave mom a zinc test to take home. It's a really simple <laughs> liquid zinc test. And say, if your husband, you know, um, doesn't pass this test, we're going to treat your husband first before I do anything for you. And three times I've had couples get pregnant within two months just by treating the father. I love that. Yeah, three times over the course of the last 25 years. Wow. So it's a lot more than that's, that's how silly it is sometimes, you know, yeah. just shotgunning hormones in and, 
and all the emotional trauma that goes with that. I mean, and many, many thousands and thousands of babies have been born by those procedures. And I don't mean to say um, anything negative about it, but the technology, technology has changed. And there's more information now to identify the why of when the body's not functioning properly. Sometimes you can't, and you, you, you make a decision and do some shotgunning. You know, it's fine. But many times you can now identify it if you find a practitioner that has that big picture and looks for those yep. things. Yep. Like, do- like Dr. Do- Lauren Noel. Like Dr. Lauren Noel and Dr. Thomas O'Brien. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we've got a couple callers here waiting in line. we got the 415 first and then 360. So caller from the 415, thanks for calling Dr. Low Radio. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, my name is Thais, um, and I'm calling from Berkeley. How do you uh, pronounce um, your name? Thais. Thais, thanks for calling in. What's your question? Yeah, thank you for the show. Um, I have two questions. Um, I have been um, struggling with systemic candida for over 10 years now. Um, and I pretty much, like, self-diagnosed myself back then. And um, and um, shortly afterwards, I discovered, like, can't eat anything <laughs> anymore. Nothing's digesting. My stomach hurts every time I eat. Um, so, you know, now I realize that I'm gluten sensitive. So my question um, is what is the connection, if any of you know, if there's a connection between systemic candida and um, autoimmune disease or, um, or is it an auto, autoimmune condition? Go for it, Okay. All right. Thank you. That's, that, that's a really good question. Um, and, yes, there's a direct connection uh, through many different pathways. The first one is that a, um, candida always lives in the gut. It's, it's a normal component of the gut. It's supposed to be there. It's called a commensal organism. But high concentrations are not normal, and it can take over. And if it takes over, it wrecks havoc. So for women that have had recurrent uh, vaginal yeast infections, that's symptomatic, and they think they just got it. No, you've had it for a long time. It's in your gut, and it migrates to other areas. And if you treat it locally for the vaginal infection, it comes back because it's a, the home base is in the gut. You have to address the gut. And uh, candida will cause intestinal permeability, one of the prerequisites in the development of autoimmune diseases. If you have a candida infection in your gut, you're very prone to having other bacterial infections also. And you really must have an uh, evaluation of your GI tract. There are some comprehensive stool analysis tests that give you tremendous amounts of information. Um, I would almost wager you have something called dysbiosis, D-Y-S-B-I-O-S-I-S, dysbiosis, uh, which means abnormal bacteria uh, in the intestines. And there's great protocols to do. There's some great protocols um, uh, that don't have to be that difficult. Um, uh, one of them, uh, and I promised my friend that I would mention this if, if it came up, there's a product called Biocidin, which is just excellent for systemic candida infections and bacterial infections and dysbiosis infections. I've used it for 25 years. It's excellent, but it's only a component. You can't just use one thing. You can't just take one shotgun approach. You need an umbrella overview. Um, but the, the bottom line is, You've, I'm sure you've treated it many times, your systemic candida infection, many, many times over the years, and now you're having a hard time eating anything. 
because there hasn't been a comprehensive overview. You need to have someone evaluate your GI function. Your, your, uh, that's usually done through a stool analysis, that's a, uh, and there's different laboratories for that. Dr. Noel, do you want to take over from here on the tag team? Well, definitely looking at the gut flora would be huge, and you've got to keep in mind, too, Thais, that 80% of your immune system is in your gut. So if you have a dysbiosis going on there, then you're going to have, you know, an inability or a lack of, you know, decreased ability to fight off different infections and fighting off the candida. So you have to restore that gut flora, have to heal that gut lining, and reduce the risk of getting these different diseases down the line. So I would recommend to, you know, work with a practitioner who can do some more evaluation for it. It's easy for, I mean, I get patients coming through the door all the time saying, I have candida, you know, treat my candida. It's like, okay, well, let's take a step back. Let's do a little bit more evaluation, see why you got the candida in the first place. Oftentimes it's from doing antibiotics, so I don't know if that was kind of the starting trigger for you. Sometimes even just a poor diet, just ODing on sugar or even really high stress. And if you have high stress, you get these spikes of blood sugar from that, and that can throw off your flora just in and of itself. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, it's a little more complex than just take this for your candida, you know, but as you can see, it's, there's a lot to it, and there's a lot of connections, and, and just need to have someone to kind of sort through it with you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um my second question um, is, um, Dr. Um, well, it, it involves the um, Firex labs. Are new licensed nutritionists allowed to prescribe the gluten-sensitive tests? Unfortunately not. Um, the practitioners that can open accounts with the lab are those who are licensed in their state to order those tests. So unless your state allows you to order blood tests, then um, you, uh, it would not be possible to open an account yourself. Mm-hmm. Is there a listing of the doctors who are eligible for that? Or, um, um, I don't, through the direct website? Or? Right, I understand. That's a very good question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I, how far is Palo Alto from you? Not far. Okay, that's where Stanford is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, doctors Rick is there and a doctor Vicky, there? Yeah, doctors Rick and Vicki Peterson are down there. They're in that area, and they're very knowledgeable on this. Okay. Uh, they've, they've written a book. Um, uh, Dr. Noel, you know, remember the, is it the, the, the Gluten Effect? Is that the name? I, I think that's the name of the book, The Gluten Effect. It's on Amazon. Uh, but they're down there, and if you go down there, just mention my name. Say say that you heard this on the show, and they'll they'll know exactly what you're referring to. Wonderful, thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Good luck to you. Thanks for your question. All right, next on the uh, lineup here is from the three six zero caller. Thanks for calling in to Dr. La Radio. What's your name, and where are you calling from? Hi there, my name is Josie Bradley, and I'm calling from Seattle, Washington. Hi, Josie. Thanks for calling in. What's your question? Hi. Um, I have uh, been diagnosed 10 years ago with Hashimoto thyroiditis and um, been very sick over the last 10 years and two years ago was diagnosed with chronic Lyme. My question is, I've been doing pretty good. I'm not treating with antibiotics. I've been doing pretty good. But one issue I have is if I eat gluten at all, I have something that is like a seizure, um, and also my ammonia levels get extremely high. So 
I don't know what the connection, if there's a connection there or if there's any um, knowledge there on um, the hyperammonia in regards to eating gluten. Uh, I just haven't been able to find any answers. Yeah, there's 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 a couple of connections. Uh, I'm so, sorry to hear how you've been suffering, and uh, uh, but the the first connection is that the most common system affected by gluten sensitivity is the brain, not the gut. Yes, it's the, it's okay. the brain. Um, yes. So and and the way it'll manifest in your brain is just dependent on your your uh, genetic vulnerabilities and and how you've lived your life so far and you know what chemicals you've been exposed to. Will it affect uh, the dopamine receptors in the brain, or will it affect the myelin, or will it affect your cerebellum? You know, who knows? It just depends on the accumulation of so many things in your lifestyle. But why your ammonia level goes up, there's a number of reasons. The most common reason is that when you have gluten sensitivity, you really have a hard time producing what's called the master antioxidant in the body, and that's glutathione. That inside our cells, we, we produce this um, antioxidant that has many, many, many different functions. And one of them is in the breakdown of ammonia. And uh, it sounds likely that that is a contributor to your problem. Um, and you're you're one of those uh, yellow canaries in the coal mine that yeah. you can't have any exposure at all. But no. it should be, it should be that with the right practitioner, that they can find how to help to stabilize you um, uh, looking at some of these features. For example, um, you must make sure that your intestine, intestinal permeability is addressed. It's got to be yes. addressed. Or, or you get allergic to 30 different foods, um, right. so, so many different things. So that needs to be addressed. And Seattle has so many good physicians, um, uh, and I'm sure you've seen some really good physicians uh, yeah. Uh, there's one. There's one in your area who's world famous. His name is Dr. Jonathan Wright, W R I G G H T. And okay. I believe he. I believe he's in Tacoma. Uh, oh, okay. But he's world famous, and uh, you should be able to. And I don't. Uh, I don't know if he's using Cyrex Labs tests or not. Uh, if he's not, tell him to. <laughs> okay. Cyrex. <laughs> he's up. Yes, yeah, C Y R E S. But he's an excellent physician and. Um, he should be able to help you get a bigger picture over what you're dealing with here. Wonderful. Great. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks you're for very welcome. Right. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Great questions. Um, some of you got some new callers coming in, so I really like that. We have probably time for one more question. If you guys can call in, 818-495-6919. Um, Doc, is there anything else you wanted to cover? I think we were pretty comprehensive tonight. Uh, no, there's. Um, I think that uh, we have been comprehensive. It's really a pleasure to um, um, talk with you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you got to do like a lecture or do an event or something. You know, we, we're too close in proximity to not do something like that. That would be wonderful. I would really enjoy that. Yeah, maybe you can come to the clinic and we can do something. Yeah, be happy to. Yeah, absolutely. So what's what's on the radar for you? What's next for Dr. O'Brien? Well, let's see. Um, uh, it's uh, the summertime, and uh, so I've got a little bit of time off before getting back on the lecture circuit again. It starts up really in September. My website is the dr.com, 
www.thedoctor.com, the dr.com, and there's a link there. Where in the world is Dr. Tom? And it lists the places where I'm lecturing. And I do I do a lot of general public lectures, not just professional, but also general public lectures. So um, uh, you can find me there. And what's happening next? I don't know. I actually don't have a clue. I don't know where I'm going. Hey, live in the present, you know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I love the way you're, that you teach. You know, you give so many different analogies and stories, and it just you can visualize it. So I really appreciate you making such complex things really simple for our listeners to understand. So thank you for for the work that you do. It's really really great. Well, thank you, Joan, Doctor Noel. It's really a pleasure to work with you. Thank you. Oh, we got one more on the phone line. You got time for one more caller, Doc? Yes, of course. Okay, let's do it. So this is from the 435. You're on Dr. Low Radio. What's your name and where are you calling from? Yes, of course. Uh, Marilyn. I'm calling hey, Marilyn. from Southern Utah. And I'm wondering if the practitioner, I've heard Dr. O'Brien in, in Las Vegas, but if there's a practitioner in St. George that he knows of that uses Cyrex Lab or in uh, Las Vegas. Um. Let's see. There's there's a uh, there's a pharmacy. There's a compounding pharmacy in Las in Vegas. In Las Vegas, right? Okay. And um, the owner of that pharmacy, uh, what's his name? Um, I, I have that. Is he the one that would would do the testing and evaluation? Um, I don't know if he'd do the testing, but he'll certainly know who are the docs in the area that are okay. are um, uh, on on the cutting edge. Okay. Is uh, the intestinal permeability a separate test besides the pre, um, the predictive antibody test? Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, all the the three tests that we've talked about tonight were the gluten sensitivity test, the intestinal permeability, and the predictive mm-hmm. antibodies. But one blood draw will do all three of them. Oh. Okay. Okay. And uh, are the prices listed on the website? Um, I don't know. I don't think they are listed on the website. Um, I want to say the predictive antibody, I think it's five-something. Would you agree, Doc? Yeah, I, I, I think the predictive antibody is um, uh, 535 or 595, something like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's for all 24 antibodies. You don't have to pay Correct. for each one individually. Correct. And, okay. You know, to, to, to keep that in perspective, uh, a thyroid antibody test that looks at two antibodies is over a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when when you're looking at 24, I, the lab has been excellent at, at keeping it competitive and you know to trying to keep it in range. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's at the, it's at the introductory level. I I know the price is um, going to be over twelve hundred dollars for that test, but uh, right now it's at the introductory level of five ninety five, and they'll keep it there for a little while, but I'm not sure how long. Mm-hmm. And then I have the, the the price for the uh the gut test, the leaky gut test, the permeability is one ninety five and then for the, the full gluten sensitivity panel three twenty five. Is how much? Three it's three twenty five for the gluten sensitivity panel. That's for all the different types of gluten. Yeah, and then uh one ninety five. Okay, they don't the package those for if you did all three together, not packaged or anything. That's They're all correct. separate. No. No, they don't. Okay. Okay. Yep. And is that that's the lab price, or is that the retail? Or can that's just one price, one price across the board? That's the same for the doctor as it is the same for the the patient. It's just one price. Okay, 
Because yeah, some states they can't mark up for tests, and others maybe can, just like the gal yeah. before said. Try. They've changed all of a sudden who can order these kind of tests and who cannot. That's correct. And maybe some maybe some practitioners are marking up those those lab prices, but that's what I charge for patients. So you know, we can certainly we can we can talk about running that as well. Well, but that's what I yeah. charge for patients. Okay. Where are you located? Um, I'm in I'm in Southern yes. California, but I, I run this for half of my patients are out of state, so it's definitely what town are you in? Um, I'm in Encinitas. Alameda? Uh Encinitas, Southern California, San Diego. Encinitas. Okay. Yep. All right. Do you have a website? Yep, it's drlaurennoel.com. dot com. That's D R L A U R E N N O E L dot com. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much for the Thank talk. Thank you so it was much. Very good, and always enjoy You're very hearing welcome. Dr. O'Brien. Thank uh, you. Thank you. All right, we got one more caller. I said that was the last one, but we got one more <laughs> caller from the nine one seven. You're on Dr. Low Radio. What's your name and where are you calling from? Hello. Yep. You're on the air. Yes. Hi. Hi. My name is Olga. Hi, Olga. Um, I actually have a question. Um, so I was diagnosed with um, autoimmune thyroiditis uh, back in 2008, and I've been taking Armour Thyroid for it. However, for the past year, I've had some peripheral neuropathy, and I don't know what it is, um, you know, relating to. Is it another autoimmune condition? Um, I came clean on all of the um, lupus tests, autoimmune conditions, except for um, thyroiditis. Um, but I did come back positive for the MTHFR mutation, um, and I'm wondering if, um, you know, controlling MTHFR mutation somehow will um, help out with, you know, controlling the thyroid disease if one thing is related to another. I'm sorry, what, what was the second thing that you came back positive to? The MTHFR, the um, hypomethylation. Oh, yes, yes. yes, of course, of course. Okay, um, well, um, the peripheral neuropathy, I've got a big smile on my face because uh, if I could, I'd wager $100 on this one. Um, uh, uh, peripheral neuropathies, 22% um, of all celiac patients have peripheral neuropathies, and every celiac patient with peripheral neuropathies have antibodies to gangliosides. Gangliosides are a component of your nerves. And if you're making antibodies to gangliosides, you start destroying your nerves. And the common symptom is peripheral neuropathies. Uh, and it's a very simple test to do. It's one of the uh, five uh, tissue antibodies for the brain and the peripheral nervous system that's on that Cyrex Labs autoimmune panels for gangliosides. I know this one very well because I, um, uh, I, had, I, I ran the test on myself. Um, uh, and it came back and it said, I had cerebellar antibodies, myelin-basic protein that causes MS, and gangliosides. I said, this is a mistake. No, it's not, Dr. O'Brien. I said, do it again. Well, we did it again because it's you. <laughs> it's accurate. And I said, this is ridiculous. But, it was, but I had gangliocide antibodies. You know, they're, they're gone now. I got rid of them all. But, um, so I would wager because Hashimoto's is the second most common um, uh, uh, comorbidity or other autoimmune condition that comes with gluten sensitivity. The first one is, mm -hmm. is diabetes. The second one is Hashimoto's. So, and very few people have one or two. They have many. So it's likely you've got ganglicide antibodies. If you run that array panel number five for the predictive antibodies, I'm 
I would wager that you would find you've got ganglioside antibodies. Okay, so let's say if I do have those ganglioside antibodies, what can I do? Is Can I reverse you find, the... Um, yes, of course you can. Yes, yes, of course you can. You just find a practitioner that can do the big big picture with you, like Dr. Noel. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I didn't know, Dr. Noel, that you work with patients out of state, that half of your client base is out of state. So you yeah. work with Dr. Noel. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, and, or, or someone um, like that. I see. And it, it's just interesting because I have been off of gluten for quite some time, but yes. the neuropathy does not go away. And um, I've been trying to follow the GAPS protocol, you know, um, to heal the gut. Um, yes. And it's not, you know, it, 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 nothing is really seems to happen, you know, and yes. B12 levels, all the levels that a standard lab that is covered by insurance will do, I have had every single one and they all come out perfect. Nobody can tell me what's wrong, but I have peripheral neuropathy. Yes. Yes. I'll wager $100. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, can you tell me um, how, if there is a practitioner in the New York City or Connecticut or New Jersey that that um, can, I can address that can help me out with this situation or maybe I can contact Dr. Noel, um, have like a phone conversation or do whatever labs that's because this is this has been happening for exactly a year, and I have not been able to pinpoint, you yes, know, and I, do anything I, about it. Yes, thank you. I understand, and you. It sounds like you've been working hard at it. And uh, uh, my suggestion to you, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. Uh, my suggestion to you is twofold: one, call Cyrex Labs and see if they have somebody out there, one of their practitioners. Two, mm-hmm. um, work with Dr. Noel. Have a consult with her, and perhaps she is your your rebound that um, you she helps you find find someone out there where you are that you can see re- regularly. But then you talk to Dr. Noel. Now this is what they said. What do you think? Because I mm-hmm. I personally know that Dr. Noel is on top of this. I know that, mm-hmm. and so you're guaranteed to have someone in your corner who knows exactly what to do. Yeah. Although if okay. I can, if I don't feel like I can help you, I'll find someone who who will. Okay. okay. And what would be the best way for me to contact you? Uh, go to my website, website? drlaurennoel.com, mm-hmm. yeah, D-R-L-A-U-R-E-N-N-O-E-L.com, and just shoot me a message on there, and we'll talk. Okay. Sounds great. Thank okay. you so much. You've been really You're helpful. Welcome. You're you. very Thank welcome, you. and good, good, good luck to you. All right. Dr. O'Brien, thank you so much for coming on the show. You are so fabulous. Oh, it's my pleasure. I really enjoy working with you. Thank you. Yeah. And for all the other callers on the switchboard, go and shoot me a message and we'll we'll chat and we'll figure out what's going on. I know there's other callers, but gotta gotta call it a call it a night. We we tried not to go over an hour. So but thanks for for staying longer and um check out the doctor.com listeners, T H E D R dot com, Dr. Lauren Noel dot com and Dr. Brian, you have a fabulous evening. Thank you. And and good night everyone. Good night. North Pole Hotline, Mrs. Claus here. My holiday shopping list is so big, I can't wait for Black Friday. Get to Old Navy's biggest sale of the year starting tomorrow. Old Navy? Beat the crowds for 50% off your entire purchase. 50% off? Plus, this Friday only, Old Navy's famous cozy socks are just a buck in stores.
Old Navy's giving $1 for every pair sold up to a million dollars to boys and girls clubs. So I can do good, look good, and get 50% off your entire purchase at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1121 to 1123. Exclusions apply. See store for details. Cozy socks valid 1123 in stores only. Limit 10. North Pole Hotline. Help! My in-laws are hosting Thanksgiving, and we're bringing the dressing. You mean stuffing? No, dressing. I need cute outfits for everyone. Get to Old Navy. Old Navy? Yep, Old Navy's kicking off the holidays with stylish denim, velvet tops, the season's best dresses, and 40% off your entire purchase now through Tuesday. 40% off? We'll be stuffing our shopping bags full. And don't forget colorful sweaters and amazing outerwear, too. You can even buy online and pick up in store for free. Ooh, I love an all-you-can-wear buffet. Holiday your heart out at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 1118 to 1120. Exclusions apply. See stores for details.